And it's a, once again, it's a great privilege and an honor to have our great friend, uh, Pastor Shane Willard, with us. I don't know if you're here over the weekend, uh, but he was just absolutely fantastic, as always. And Shane, it's a great privilege and an honor to have you here again. And at the end of the service, we're going we're gonna to be taking a, up a special offering for him to bless him, bless him financially. So uh, just over this just next 30 minutes, if you just prepare your hearts, there's different ways you can give. That We have an FPOS machine at the back where you can give online or you can just put a pledge on or something like that. But we want to bless him and honor his ministry in our lives today. So why don't we stand to our feet and welcome Pastor Shane Willard as he comes to the minister this morning. If you're the type likes following an actual Bible, Genesis 25, we're going to get there in a second. If not, we've made slides. What a, what a, what a great atmosphere um, in the presence of God this morning in a great church. I'd like to take a second in honor uh, Pastor Mike and Joy. They've been an, an important part of, of my life. Um, I've been journeying here since 2005, and, um, and, and Mike is just uh, quite simply stated the best in the world at what he does. I find him, I find no one like him. I can't, um, yep. I'm so excited. Uh, anytime we've done things together, it just works so well. And um, I love him and his wife so much. And Dave and Kate, we've been friends the entire time as well. Um, and um, just love them so much as well. The, the team here. And, and you know, just I mean, look around at what the Lord has done in this church. This place is packed. And so it's just an amazing, um, amazing place. Um, if, you're, if you're new to us, this is all I do for a living. I travel around and speak. I've, ha I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So, so my stuff comes from that bent. also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I'm qualified to sort your head out as, as well. So careful what you say to me. Careful. I can see through all that stuff. Um, on, on your way out today, you're going to walk past a table with my resources on it. If you walking out those doors and you cannot find my table, seek medical help. It's taken up half the room, okay? And if you look at that and you go, why would you carry that around with you? The reason is, is because we make a lot of money from it, okay? And the reason we do that is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. So 100% of what we make from that, we're going to give to the poor and the afflicted. We have orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. Um, we have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats, all right? So, so if you're Gonna, if, if you know I'm not going to get anything, God bless you. I'll see you next time. If you know you are, um, if you would um, head there after the service um, and, and, and get it before you get your coffee or anything like that because I've got to tear it all down and, and take it with me to my next place. So if you guys could be so kind uh, to do that. So I, I want to um, talk to you this morning about decision making. I want to talk to you about a better filter to make decisions because the truth is, is that we're made for more. We're made for, we're made for more than what we are experiencing. And here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Here's the thing that unites us all. Like in this room, there's all kinds of different uh, backgrounds and passions and personalities and preferences and, and things like this. So, but this is what unites us. If, if you're in this room and you're the extrovert, right? And we can all tell who you are, right? You're, you're the extrovert. Like you're the life of the party. You're a party waiting for a place to happen. That's you, right? You're an extrovert. This would be true of you. If you're an introvert, right? Like if this is the first time you've been outside since Netflix was introduced. If this is the first day, right? Right, this is true, this is true of you, right? Or if you're an amnivert, right? So if you're like someone somewhere in between, right? So in this room there would be extroverts, there would be there would be introverts, there would be amniverts, and, and unfortunately probably a few perverts too. But whatever the case may be, whatever it is, this is gonna unite us. All of us, 
all of us want to be seen as successful, influential to the best of our. We all want we all want to to fulfill whatever the lid is on our potential. We want to get there, and really doing that is a function of how well we make decisions, making good decisions over a long period of time. And here's the thing: let me give you the worst filter to make decisions. This will ruin your life. Okay. If the only thing we consider is, is this right or wrong, it will ruin our life, right? It'll ruin our life. Why? Because there's a lot of things that aren't wrong, but they're just dumb, okay? So there's a lot of things. If we only consider, is this wrong? Is it actually wrong to do this? Or is this right to do this? It'll ruin our life. The first lie recorded in the Bible, right, is very memorable. First lie recorded. It should, we should always remember it because it was told by a talking snake, okay? Pretty memorable is this. That the best way to get to your best potential in life is to organize your life around your knowledge of good and evil. In other words, here was the lie. Master what's right and what's wrong and your life will be good. No, it won't. No, it won't. That's a lie. The second lie the, second lie the snake told was that your best life is found in, in navigating good and evil well and pursuing happiness by pursuing things outside of you. That there's something outside of you that you don't currently have that if you just had it, you'd be more like God. You'd be more at peace. You'd be more. That, that's a lie. That's a lie as well. And so the question is, is if that's, the, if, if that's the unhealthy way to organize decisions, what would be a better way to do that? And I want to give you a couple of better filters to organize decisions by looking at a very ancient story. It'd be over 3,000 years old, the story. It's over 3,000 years old. And so when we look at Scripture, we want to ask a few questions. One, what happened? But more importantly, what's happening in me right now because of it? How can I gain something by looking at this story. So I want to look at this story. This is from Genesis 25. It's the story of a guy named Jacob and Esau and an encounter they had after Esau came in from a hunt. So this is Genesis 25. You could bring that up. Here we go. Here it comes. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was a quiet man staying amongst the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So right, right away, you got something very unhealthy going on here. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And then the writer adds a little parenthetical thing. Oh, why, oh that's why he is also called Edom. So the, obviously the writer's writing about the story way later. And, and Esau's name has been changed to Edom for some reason. He's telling a Hebrew joke that you can't really see unless you see it in Hebrew. So I'll explain that in a second. So Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me. Now, if you're a note taker, which I see a lot of you are, that's the key phrase. That is why Esau is the most hated man in the whole Bible by rabbis, by, by, by Hebrew people. If you, ask, if you ask a rabbi who's the most evil person in the Bible, they say Esau, which is weird because the Bible's full of nefarious characters. But Esau's the one that is the example that you don't want to be like. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second. What good is the birthright to me? I'm about to die, which I think we could all agree is a bit of an exaggeration, right? Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then, Esau gave, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and drank. And then he got up and left. So Esau despised 
his birthright. Now, there's so much going on in this passage, I want to sort of unpack it and then ask the more important question, what's going on in this right now? So hit that next slide for me. So there's a few things going on. First, you've got a dysfunctional family. I mean, you got a dad that loves one kid more, so the mom tries to overcompensate by loving the other kid more. This is just basic family systems theory disaster. This is not, this is not going to work well. Um, Jacob, th- th- if your name is Jacob today, I want you to understand in English, that's a really good name. Like, that's awesome, Jacob. But in Hebrew, back then, you would never name your kid Jacob because it meant liar, Right? So you like, hey, go to bed, liar. Get up, liar. Do your chores, liar. Come on, liar. You would just never do that. It was a disaster. Later, God was gracious, and he changed his name to Israel, which was a much better, it's a, it's a much better name. But in this story, his name's Liar. And Esau's the hunter. He's like the dad's favorite, you know? And so here's what happens. Esau comes in from the open country, and he's a bit hungry, right? He's a bit hungry. And Jacob's cooking some stew. Now, in, in English, it says that Esau said, give me some of that red stew. Now, in Hebrew, what he says is much more caveman-y, much more primitive. It's much more um, like, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to say it, like, like a, a, an ogre or something. Let, let me show you, ne- next slide. Here, ne- yeah, yeah, ne- next one. He, he comes in, in Hebrew, all he says is, ha-adam, ha-adam, ha-adam. Now, English translators have to make that readable. So they translate that red stew. Right? Because he's obviously referencing the stew. But in, in Hebrew, it doesn't say red stew. It just says, ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam. Like, it's really like, ha-adam, ha-adam. <laughs> L- literally, uh, ha is the, adam is red. So literally, he comes in and goes, ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam, ha-adam. The red, the red. Give me the red. It, you, you might even say, Give me the red stuff, that red stuff. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Now, to understand this, we have to understand, in, in ancient Hebrew, there, there was no, there's no superlatives. So, so if you wanted to emphasize yourself, you just repeated yourself. So if you wanted to say peace, you would just say shalom. If you wanted to say, like, big peace, you'd go shalom, shalom. And if you wanted to say real big peace, you'd go shalom, shalom, shalom. You would just repeat yourself. So for him to come in and go, ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam, ha-adam. I really, 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 really want the red stuff. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Ha-adam, ha-adam. Right? So here's what happens, right? Dom, dom is blood. Life source. Adam is red stuff. Red. Now, Adama, which would be Adam, that would be like, like, uh, like red uh, blood man, something like that, right? So ha-adam. So he trades his birthright. For a bowl of ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. I'm willing to trade my birthright for that bowl of ha-adam, ha-adam, right? And so they change his name to Edom, which is red man. So this, this, is, what, this is what happened. He trades his birthright for a bowl of stew, and it's so dumb that they change his name to remind him of his stupidity. It, it's, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like this. Um, it, it, if, if, it's sort of like if, when you were a junior hire, did you ever know someone that did something really dumb and embarrassing, and so people gave him a nickname and then it stuck? It's exactly that. So for the rest of his life, instead of calling him Esau, they called him Edom. Hey, are you that guy that sold everything he could be for one bowl of ha-adam, ha-adam? How'd that work out? What's up, red dude? What's up, red man? How's that going for you? 
Ha'adam, Ha'adam. So here's what the writer says. It says that he despised his birthright. Now, the word despised there just means to profane. It means to treat something that is sacred as if it is common. To treat something sacred. Here's what happened in the story. Esau's hunger made him lose sight of the holy, sacred privilege it is to simply be alive. The fact that we're here, we are breathing God's air, we are held together by God's name, is a holy, sacred privilege. In our world, there are no holy places because you are the holy place. Your life is carrying the presence of God. And Esau forgot this and traded that for a bowl of ha'adah, Ha'adam. The writer says he despised his birthright. He treated the holy sacred thing on his life as if, as if it was nothing more as common as a bowl of stew. It was Ha'adam, Ha'adam. There's one more thing that I can see here going on. Next slide. Is the Hebrew idea around iniquity. Now, the Hebrew word for iniquity is Avon, like the makeup company, Avon. Now, ancient Hebrew was written in pictures, hieroglyphics. They learned to write in Egypt. So every Hebrew letter was a picture. Every Hebrew word then would be a comic strip. So, so the, the Hebrew word iniquity has three letters. An A, which is an eyeball. A V, which is a hook. And an N, which is fish multiplying. One becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. And so when an ancient Hebrew person read iniquity, they read whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. In other words, whatever gets your attention becomes the most important thing. Like you can have an obsessive desire for something that's not wrong. Is there anything wrong with eating a bowl of stew? No. But when our desire for it becomes obsessive and we're willing to trade it for heavier things, then that becomes a real problem. This is a story about what gets our attention ultimately becomes the obsessive desire in our life. Now for us, we might be thinking, okay, Shane, all right, so he traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. So what? Honestly. Really? So what? And here's the reason why. In our world, we don't have an equivalent concept of birthright. We have a concept of inheritance, right? Which is, I get to carry on the wealth of the previous generation as it was handed down, divided by however many kids we have. Which in this, in this church, is going to be divided a lot because there's just kids everywhere, right? Right? And as a word of knowledge, I think we need to have an altar call later for drug addiction because <laughs> who has that many drugs on them? Like it's one thing to have it in your medicine cabinet, but you folks had it in your pocket. That is really, really cool, right? So for us, for us, inheritance is one thing. Birthright, we don't really understand. So let me just give you four quick things that a birthright was in their world. Next slide. So it was carrying the family name for survival. There was no courthouse. There was no record center. There was no records of who owned what. It was all passed down orally through the birthright of the firstborn. It was imagery for everything your family stood for. It entitled someone to twice the inheritance because of the extra responsibility. Like, like you don't ever want to pray for a double portion. A double portion wasn't something you wanted. A double portion was given to the firstborn because he had so much extra responsibility that he needed the extra money. Like, for instance, if, if I'm the firstborn and any of my brothers die, I have to marry all their wives. Well, 
If I have eight brothers and through a series of unfortunate events, they all die. And by average, as they have four wives apiece, I just inherited 32 women with all their children. Can you see where the double portion never really made it to my pocket? It's, it's at New World and Woolworths and places like this. Right? Right? It, it's, it, it, let, me, let me just say it simply. The birthright in Hebrew culture was essentially a summary statement of your destiny, of your potential, of everything you could be. So they would use the word birthright as a summary statement of this is you maxing out. This is the highest potential for your life. And in this story, Esau says, what good is all my potential if I die of starvation? I'm willing to trade everything I could be for one meal. One meal. I'm willing to do that. And he treated that sacred thing as if it was nothing more common than the next bowl of ha'adam, ha'adam. Which leads me to this question. I wonder if we ever do that. Instead of filtering our life through right or wrong, what if we thought of it this way, temporary or permanent? I think it's a better filter. Is this fulfilling a temporary urge or a, is it a pursuit of something permanent? Or, or maybe the, a, a better way to say it is instead of thinking is this right or wrong, think is this bowl or is this birthright? Is this, is this a pursuit of everything I can be? Am I making this decision as a pursuit of everything I could be? Or is this just me trading what I could be for a momentary urge? And even if that momentary urge isn't wrong, it can still destroy me. It can still destroy me. Let's, and this is a common thing. Let me give you a few examples. Next slide. So Esau traded everything he could be for a momentary urge. He traded everything he could be for one momentary urge because his eye hooked to the ha-adam, ha-adam. Let's give a few examples of this. Next slide. So, so Moses in Exodus 3, here's what happens, right? So God says to Moses, I have this huge plan for you. I want you to get all these people out of slavery and into freedom. I got this huge plan for you. And it's like a four chapter long argument with a talking bush. It's weird, right? right? Moses is going back and forth. And remember, Moses' main thing was, I'm not good at speaking. Moses' main thing was, I'm not good at speaking, but the irony was, for four chapters, he's doing nothing but speaking to the burning bush, right? Right? And so here's what's going on in the passage. God says, I have this huge plan for you, Moses. And Moses says, yeah, but I, I got I to gotta see him public speaking. I can't do that. And he was willing to trade his potential for an urge to be insecure, that I don't have the skill. Later, there's a guy named Gideon. Gideon in Judges 6, the same group of people are enslaved. And God says to him, hey, I want you to get all these people out of slavery and into freedom. And Gideon, I think I'm doing this word for word. It'll be really close. Here's what Gideon says. Gideon says, why me, Lord? Follow my logic, God. My tribe is the least of all the tribes. My clan is the least of the tribes. My family is the least of the clan, and I'm the least of my family. Now, if you follow that logic, my tribe is the least of all the tribes. My clan is the least of our tribe. My family is the least of the clans, and I'm the least of my family. Literally, Gideon's saying, I'm the worst person on earth for you to choose to do this. Everybody's better. So God says, I have this huge plan for you. And Gideon says, yeah, but I don't come from the right stock. I don't come from the right family. I don't have the heritage. And he was willing to trade everything he could be. For a bowl of insecurity about not having the right family. I wonder if we've ever done that. 
I wonder if we have not given it a go for what God wants us to do because we don't think we have the skill or because we don't think we have the family heritage to do it. Or here's another example. Next slide. You got Jeremiah. Evidently, Jeremiah was very young. I don't know what young is back then because they died at 30, right? So he must have been really, really young. And, and, and God says, I want you to be a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, yeah, 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 but no one's going to listen to me because I'm just a child. So once again, God says, I have this huge plan for you. And Jeremiah almost didn't give it a go because he didn't think he had the maturity. And then then perhaps most sadly, there's a scene in Matthew 23 where Jesus calls out Jerusalem for having a huge plan for their life that they didn't pursue just simply because they didn't want to. They weren't willing. I wonder if we found ourselves in that story. Have we not given it a go to pursue our best potential in God simply because we don't think we have a skill? We don't think we have the family, we think we're too young, or we're just simply flat not willing. Here's here's the uh, next slide. Here's Matthew 23. This is Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you simply were not willing. You just weren't willing. Maybe let's say it another way. Next slide. This is Hebrews chapter 12. Now here's the thing, right? Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after Hebrews chapter 11, right? And Hebrews chapter 11 is the famous passage about the heroes of our faith, right? The heroes of our faith. And if you go look at their stories, they all messed up mightily. It wasn't about mistakes. They all messed up. Seriously, but watch what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 when he describes who not to be like. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless. What a word. Godless. Like Esau. What? Like if you made a list of Esau's mistakes, what was his biggest mistake? He sold his birthright for a meal. Is that really that bad? Because the Bible's full of nefarious characters. You would think the writer of Hebrews would go, see to it that no one is godless like Manasseh, who sacrificed children to the god Molech to get protection for the southwest side of the city. Don't do that guy. Right? That makes sense. See to it that no one's godless like Ahab. Look up what he did. Right? See to it. Or some of these guys that were heroes. Like if you look at their story, they all did crazy stuff. Like By faith, Abraham. Abraham gave his wife to Pharaoh's harem. And it says that he greatly profited from Egyptian affluence while his wife was suffering in the harem. That you want to be like that guy? Or 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 Isaac did something similar? Moses was a premeditated murderer. I looked this way and that and seeing no one, I killed the man and hid him in the sand. The problem was the next day the sand shifted. You got this leg sticking up out of the sand, you know? By faith, Samson, Samson was doing horrible things because he got depressed because his best man stole his wife. Samson lost a bet and killed 30 people. What on earth, right? By faith, David, David had what, like 700 women? 700 women. Why would you expose yourself to such stress? All in one palace, you know, all, you know, all of the cycles and everything would coincide. It would just be awful. <laughs> 700 women, one dude. 
and he still went and got the one he wasn't meant to have. By faith, David. By faith, Solomon. Solomon had a thousand women. A thousand women. He outdid a thousand. God said, I'll have you write the book on wisdom. Surely you learned something. Could you ima- can you imagine that conversation? Excuse me, sir. Are you the man that successfully navigated the affections of a thousand women? Yes. You've got to be the smartest guy on earth. Let's write a book together, right? You say, Shane, what's your point? My point is this. Is that in Scripture, it's never about making mistakes. Actually... What made them heroes was not their perfection. It was their heart to intentionally pursue everything they could be. And along the way, they made mistakes with zeros attached to it. It's not about living mistake-free. It's about the heart to pursue everything we could be. What, what was the difference between those guys and Esau? Those guys were intentionally pursuing everything they could be, and along the way, they made mistakes. Esau said, what good is my birthright to me? And the writer of Hebrews makes sure you... This story is thousands of years old at this point, and he's still ticked off about it. The writer of Hebrews is like, yeah, don't be that guy. That's awful. Watch what he says. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau. And then he reminds you of the story. Who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind. Though he sought the blessing with tears. What happened in the story is he went and asked his father to reverse his mistake. And his father couldn't do it. In other words, sometimes we make mistakes. And even though we're forgiven, the consequences are very, very long-lasting. Now you might be thinking, Shane, okay, so what do we do with that? What what does that mean for us now? How do we change our life for this tomorrow? Let's talk about that. Next slide. Couple things. My question I want us to wrestle with, because sermons aren't meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. Here's my one question for you this morning: Is do you despise your birthright? Are we living our life profaning everything we could be in God? Are we living our life as if there's no higher purpose than my next urge? And it's not about right or wrong. It's about chasing the higher purpose. Because this pattern simply leads us from from living to urge, to urge, to urge, to urge, to urge, to urge, to urge. And here's the problem with that, right? One day you will be 90, hopefully. And here's what will happen. Is you'll look back on your life. And you'll find out that your life was an intentional pursuit of everything you could be. I intentionally pursued everything I could be, and along the way, I made some mistakes with zeros attached. Yes, but I was intentionally pursuing everything I could be, and along the way, I made mistakes. Or you'll look back on your life and realize your life was simply a pattern of living from one urge to the next urge to the next urge to the next urge to the next urge. And here's the problem. Next slide. The problem is what seems to be so great the ha-adam, ha-adam, ends up being a cup of beans. It ends up, once he sold his birthright for that bowl, once he got the bowl, it was just beans. I wonder when we, what our experience is with that. That when we trade something heavier for a momentary urge, 
We think we'll die without what's in the bowl. But once it's there, it's just beans. Maybe we say it this way. Next slide. Esau traded everything he could be for a bowl of beans. Esau traded everything he could be for a bowl of beans. She came to my office. She was shaking, crying. It's a terrible thing. I'd seen this before, so I knew, but I had to let her tell her story, you know. I was the pastor on call that week. 16. She said, Shane, I thought he would love me more if I crossed that line. And I want to be clear, I was fully involved. I got so worked up that I thought I'd die without it. And then I crossed the line. And now I feel lonelier than ever before. Let me put my words on it. I thought I'd die without it. And then I did it. And when it was over, I looked at him and I thought, beans. That was just beans. It's just one more piece of cake. That's all it is. It's one more piece of cake. That's all it is. And I know I struggle with habitual overeating. I know I struggle with huge body image issues. But it's just one more piece of cake. I'm pre-diabetic. I almost have heart disease. But that one more piece of cake is just calling to me. And it's in the fridge. And when I open the fridge, there it is. Ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. And I give in and I eat it. And as soon as the last taste of icing is out of my mouth, and it goes to my stomach, and then to my hips, I think, that was just beans. It's just beans. Hey, it's just one more drink. That's all it is. One more beer. That's all it is. And you know, you know whether or not you can have one beer with your brother while watching a game and enjoy it. Or whether one beer is always going to be 20. You know the difference between that. You know. And there it is. There it is. You know you're the 20 guy. And you know. You open that fridge and there it is. Ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. And you trade your family's respect, your own dignity, for one more drink, and you wake up the next day with a headache and vomiting, and you think, beans. I traded something heavier for a momentary urge. Uh, yeah. If you've ever dealt with someone with drug addiction, this is exactly it. I'll die without the next hit. I'll die without it. And then you get it, and at the end of it, it's just beans. Hey, look, a new shirt. <laughs> I may as well cover everybody. Hey, <laughs> look, a new shirt. I currently don't feel very good about myself, but if I just had a new shirt, that would do it. That would do it. Ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. In English, it subtly sounds like how dumb, how dumb, how dumb, how dumb, how dumb. Ha-adam, ha-adam. And we can't afford, and we, we buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we don't like and wonder why we're struggling. 
And then we blame Satan, you know? Satan's attacking my finances. No, he's not. You've given him a vacation from how dumb you are, right? Something, anything wrong with buying the new shirt? No, no, but it might, not wrong, no, but probably not wise. Like a, a much better filter, a much better filter than for making decisions than right or wrong is temporary or permanent. Is this wise or not? Or is this bowl or is this birthright? Because when we trade our birthright for a bowl, it's always beans. Always. Oh, I just need a new car. <laughs> I've got car fever, you know. Now, guys will understand this. Women don't get car fever. Men get car fever. Car, let me explain car fever for, for those who don't understand it. Car fever is the irresistible urge to drive something new while rationalizing it as needing something more reliable. That's what, that's what car fever is, right? And you're just like, you're just like, hey, oh, I need that new car, I need that new car. And the worst place to go when you have car fever is to a car lot. It's the worst place. You walk up to the car lot and the car salesmans are like, ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. You need the ha-adam, ha-adam. Car salesmen all have a car fever thermometer. They just don't tell you it's rectal, okay? And they're like, ha-adam, 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 ha-adam. Here's what happens. They're so clever. Here's what they do. They get you to sign up to pay 8.5% interest on something that's going to lose 50% of its value. And they put off the first payment for 45 days, right? So by the time the newness wears off, you walk into the... You walk into the garage and the first payment's due and you're thinking, I'm paying how much for this? It's going down how fast in value? I thought I would die without that, but it's just beans. It's just beans. Maybe we'll say it this way. Next slide. Esau traded everything he could be for a bowl of beans. Everything he could be. Here's my question and I want us to wrestle with this. Is the story of your life going to be a pursuit of the birthright or a summation of living from urge to urge to urge? Realizing, buying into the lie that the next thing outside of myself will make me happy. No, it won't. No, it won't. Hey, a new car is a great thing to have. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Never. Never. New shirt, good. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. That new person, fine. But if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. It's not. And when we trade everything we could be for the next urge, we always realize it doesn't do what it promised. And it's just beans. It's just beans. Well, one last thought on this. This is Jesus in Luke 9. Next slide. So then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let me read that again without one of the words. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That makes perfect sense. But Jesus adds the word daily. In other words, good decisions don't work like savings accounts. It's not like if you make 20 years of good decisions, you get 20 years of horrendous decisions before you ruin your life. It's not that. That, that making great decisions and submitting our imagination and our desires and the way we get satisfaction, submitting that to the risen Christ is a daily, daily discipline. And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this, right? You are made for more. And we should all be pursuing our birthright. And here's my challenge to you. If you're going to intentionally pursue your birthright, then along the way you will make mistakes. You will. Sometimes with zeros attached. It's not about that. It's keeping our heart pure enough to say, you know what? I'm intentionally pursuing everything I could be. And when we do that, 
it can keep us from just pursuing the next urge. Because when we live from urge to urge to urge, we'll find out that when we sell our birthright for a bowl, it's always beans. What's a better filter for decision making than right or wrong, temporary or permanent? Is this wise or unwise? And maybe the best way to think about it is, is this a pursuit of the birthright or is this giving into the bowl? Is this a pursuit of the birthright or is this giving into the bowl? So let's be quiet before the Lord and give this its 20 seconds of meditation. And once you pray a prayer underneath your breath that says something like this, Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about what my bowl is and give me the courage to destroy it, to not give into it. Give me the courage to believe the truth that even if I got it, it would just be beans. What's the bull's name? Who is she? Who is he? What is it? Is it another thing? What is it? Lord, would you give us the courage to act and change our life? Amen. Would you look this way? Thank you so much for letting me be part of your weekend. You're always so gracious and kind to me. Let me summarize the weekend in 30 seconds. May you, my brothers and sisters, be a group of people who cultivate the ground of people's hearts as well as your own to keep saying the small yeses so that the mustard seed of the kingdom of God can be established in you. May you be willing to have the difficult conversations along the way with graciousness and dignity for the other. May we never be a group of people who pursue the presence of God as the end to itself, thereby becoming people who just stare at the sky. May we encounter meaningful experiences with the divine so that we can get on about what we're meant to be doing. And may we be known as a group of people who don't filter everything through right or wrong, but rather a more profound filter, bowl or birthright. And may we realize and act upon the truth that when we sell our birthright for a bowl, we'll realize it's always beans. Until I see you next time, grace and peace, everybody. God bless. That was fantastic, Shane. Shane, before you go, what, uh, just as you were sharing what you wouldn't know, like we, did, we never talked about what you would share. I just trust that you hear from God and speak. The exact same message, just in a different, different expression, was if I was preaching today, that was the message that I'd already prepared to preach. On Esau, where he, he ate, drank, got up, and walked away. And um, you can see my notes. It's the exact same message. And uh, so I just want to thank you so much for your ministry. And, bro, that was mind-blowing. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> we would love to just bless uh, Shane financially. So we're just going to take up an offering now. Uh, if you haven't been, if you haven't come prepared, you just write a little note. You can just put it in the in the in the bag, and we will honour that. And I encourage you to honour that as well. Uh, you can also give online. You can give at the FPOS machine at the back. Just whatever way the Lord prompts you to give. It's just free will offering. We just want to bless them. But let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking into our lives today. Father, today we make a decision to consciously respond to the word that you brought into our hearts. Father, we thank you for Shane. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our life. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would just speak right now at this moment and what to give and what to invest into his life. 
Father, today I pray for every, ha- every household, every family here today. Father, as they go their way, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that your presence would just abide over their lives over the course of this week. I pray for the businesses. I pray for every family, that every person today would experience the, the, your presence in every way over their lives in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all right, let's give this morning. Thank you for coming. Hope you had a fantastic service this morning. And don't forget to honor and bless your mum as you go this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.